thanks for joining. Um, a first session of visibility in action is well about to kick off. Um, new thing for me to be doing this, recording this for the world. So uh, expect episode number one to be a little bit rusty. Um, and I'm joined by Henry Langston from Ocean Insight, Chief Commercial Officer there. Um, and yeah, let's start by giving you a bit of an introduction, shall we, Henry? Thanks, Dave. Thanks as well for uh, you know giving me the opportunity to join you uh, um, and talk about something that's that's really important to both of us. Um, in my you know my day job, I lead a sales and marketing team for a, a technology engineering manufacturing company. We make spectrometers, uh, so complex analytical instruments that analyze samples using the power of light. And we sell to everybody from university professors to uh, Fortune 50 and FTSE 100 companies, part of a, a large listed UK group called Performer PLC. Excellent. Thanks, Henry. And I'm looking forward to getting into this because we've had a, you know, very much account manager and client relationship for what, a couple of years now. So um, these are really important topics to, to kind of get out there and talk about. And Actually, you were the first person that came to mind when the project kind of started forming in my mind after recalling the piece you wrote for Halma um, during Pride Month last year. Um, and uh, I think the events of last year have done so much to bring diversity, inclusion, equity, whatever you want to call it, to the fore, that actually having people tell their stories, it just goes to humanise those experiences. Um, and that's ultimately what we're trying to do. And I think you know diversity is such a huge topic it covers so many different things the best place to start is with what you know um so uh, so yeah i think aim of this conversation today really is just to share some stories get some conversations going with you know a bit of an understanding that people don't know everything um and sometimes they might be a bit wary to ask questions afraid of being judged so if we can answer some of those without people having to proactively go seek the information then i think that should be really useful and actually from a, a purely personal perspective we can only kind of, we only know from our own experiences. Um, so I think there's so much I don't know about um, what happens within the STEM sectors, you know, for people under the LGBTQ plus banner, you know, each different letter, um, each part of the acronym, everyone's going to have their own experience. Um, there's many people out there who, you know, cover off, you know, intersectionality is the word we use. They cover off lots of different elements of what we might call diversity and, you know, without ticking boxes, how does that affect them? So, um, there's two or three things I think we'll focus on today. Um, I am very aware that we could talk for hours and hours and hours about this and more. Um, but where I wanted to start is the idea of kind of coming out and it being seen as this kind of rite of passage that um, every LGBTQ person has to go through. Um, and it's almost seen as this one, one kind of lifetime event that you do, and that's you. And in reality, I think we both know that it's almost a daily thing that you have to think about in every new conversation you have. Um, so for me, identifying as bi, that's whether someone, you know, assumes if I'm in a same sex or an opposite sex relationship, you know, I, that doesn't mean that gets, you know, erased. Um, so in the professional realm, you know, we both have fairly client facing roles. So how do you think that affects I suppose your day-to-day -day mental health in many ways in terms of you know talking to different people and actually in your career have you seen it have a 
a noticeable effect on whether that's career progression, your comfort, your happiness in a job? You know, how, how does that affect your day to day life, do you think? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, it's that the point that um, that idea of invisible diversity. Yes. And the fact that you you don't go around wearing an LGBT label on your forehead for every Zoom call or every... Yes. <laughs> for every I mean, it's, it's on my LinkedIn banner, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so in every relationship you form, uh, in every professional relationship, just as it is in personal relationships, you face the question, and I know I certainly ask myself the question, how much am I comfortable in sharing with this person? Not yeah. knowing, especially in a professional context, when you're networking people, meeting clients, meeting people often for the first time, yep. um, it is about relationship building between, especially with clients, everybody knows that that's an important part. And so, you know, if you do uh, identify um, as LGBT, I think it's very unusual if you don't think about that because you are actively thinking, how do I build a relationship with this person? Yeah. How they're going to feel or empathize. And if we, you know, why, <laughs> why is it so common to bond with clients socially? Why do you want to take them out for dinner? Why do you want to develop relationships with, with, with them? Mm -hmm. Talking about children or sports or those things that become yeah. uh, build a sense of common identity yeah. between between two people and, and so that becomes a point of or a decision for every lgbt person how much do i feel comfortable sharing mm -hmm. and i think that it, it does um in some ways the fact that being white gay man you can choose and you can you, you, yeah it, it, in some ways makes it easier because you just don't have to think about it you're just going to talk about the business what we're here to do um and on the other hand it's harder because you have to be more conscious and deliberate and people may also make different assumptions uh yeah. referring to gender of partners without thinking about it referring to <laughs> oh why don't you have kids those things that can be incredibly confronting and do yeah. not think about it i mean i've no one's ever asked me that. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I do say, you know, people, you question why they might be questioning, and that can very quickly subconsciously create distance in relationships. So yeah. you're constantly navigating that. And so what, what impact does that have on people? Um, what does it, impact does it have on, on me? To be, to be honest, you just... So for me personally, trying to be someone who wants to be a role model or wants to be visible, mm. it's telling myself to be brave enough to be visible. Yeah, no, completely, completely. But a lot of that is a product of the environment that allows you to be that visible. Um, you know, so, I mean, we talk about, you talk about conversations about, you know, 
building relationships with people talking about partners talking about you know kids all of these kinds of things and it, it takes me back to conversations i've had in previous roles where you know you come in on a monday morning everyone's in the kitchen making their coffee or whatever talking about what they did at the weekend and that sense of trying to figure out how open you're going to be based on who's in the room with you is is huge and if that's a, a weekly almost daily occurrence you know um that's that's a huge impact on how comfortable someone then feels being that role model being visible and i think that's where we get onto conversations about how do you build an inclusive culture things like that because if in your in your role in your work you feel sort of included in every other sense suddenly that becomes much smaller of a barrier to get over to also then be be more open and visible um with every other aspect of your life as well that's that that's absolutely right and i think that that's that's as true in stem environments as in, in, in any other but it is that um you have to even being part of an inclusive culture as i am and I'm, I'm very happy about that you still fear it I oh you do and yeah. I, so, so that's i think the reality that people i think like, oh well we have a, an open and inclusive culture like you know joey in accounting's got a boyfriend uh, like what's the problem yeah it's not, about, it's, it's not about that it's the fact that the culture exists within a broader um set of you know social and environmental norms of what yeah. the workplace is and how yeah. you behave and what those what are appropriate topics to talk about or expectations that people might have of each other in in the workplace and you know nothing exemplifies it more to me than the office Christmas party or things like that, like that dreaded question, oh, you know, are you bringing someone or, or something where I think about so, for so many people who identify as LGBTQ+, it's not a question they want to hear. And that's, that to me is, is a, a kind of a watershed <laughs> kind of question. Is this truly an environment or a culture where, where I feel comfortable? Yeah. And, even in an environment where my partner has met my colleagues, I'm a leader in the organization, um, and therefore it's also visible, you still have that gut-wrenching feeling when the question comes up. Yeah, it's ingrained, you know, through... Yeah. Yeah. No, no, completely. It's... it's... And I mean, this could get us into so many different areas of conversation, but one thing we've talk, talked about before, you know, hitting record was, you know, education and upbringing and this idea that, you know, if you're trying to forge a career in STEM, as an example, it is a traditionally masculine arena, whether that's technology, manufacturing, engineering, all of it. I mean, frankly, everything is traditionally a masculine arena and, and, until we, we start trying to change that. But it's still one of those industries or, or groups of industries that is seen in that way. So that's where education becomes you know, hugely important. You know, we being of a very similar age grew up at a time through you know, the 90s into the 2000s where there was definite improvements. You know, we by no means grew up with the same stigma that, that you know, the generations before us did. You know. um, but at the same time, there was those unwritten rules about what could be said, what couldn't be said, um, you know, that were frankly written into law in the UK, although they weren't in New Zealand. Um, 
and it I suppose just that is what creates the atmosphere of, of that gut-wrenching feeling that you talk about because if one environment that you're in is massively inclusive and you know that and you feel that and you're happy with it it's within something bigger and it's kind of the something bigger that needs needs to be fixed which is a daunting problem I suppose um yeah, I think because I think that that people think about discrimination as the very active and overt act of saying something or expressing a view that might be inappropriate. But I think yeah. what people tend to discount is the power of discrimination by omission and the discrimination that silence causes. And it, because it sustains and supports a culture that makes people feel uncomfortable yeah. and that, that can be very confronting and you know if i talk to any of the people i work with um that would be probably horrifying to think you know if, if they thought that by not saying something against something you know at all because it's just easier to have that let's call it well blokiness or the stiff upper lip that yep. we tend to have in those masculine dominated cultures, it it undermines the sense that there it, it does, whether you like it or not, undermine um, undermine that tolerance. Okay. I think it, it can be um, particularly true in STEM environments where you're working with engineering, manufacturing. Um, which have been male dominated for a long time that it's not seen as something we need to talk about so therefore we're just kind of just leave it over there and it's fine and people can get on with their life and be who they want to be but we're just not going to talk about it yeah. and, and that that becomes people don't realize that that perpetuate how much that perpetuates yeah, I mean the comparison, I suppose, is, is don't ask, don't tell, isn't it? That's that's the environment that, that that builds up, and you know we've we've all read in recent years how toxic that can be. Um, I mean, like I say, there's so many different angles we could then take that conversation. But moving into almost building how you build an inclusive culture, particularly in STEM, where you know, particularly if you have a small team as well. You know, I'm sitting here working for a business of you know 30, 35 people. Um, which limits the diversity you can have purely by statistics. Um, however, it's an incredibly inclusive group of people considering its size. And I suppose you can be inclusive without being diverse. And I think, you know, from a recruitment perspective, working for a recruitment business, I do get a lot of small businesses that we support talking about, well, is diversity important for us? Because our team is so small, we can't have a big impact. Um, or how do we attract a non-white male candidate and i'm very aware we might be talking about lgbtq issues here but we are two white english-speaking men <laughs> there's a lot of privilege being being you know talked about here as well um but how do we attract people from backgrounds that we don't represent and that's by being inclusive um which sounds easier than it than it is in reality um but but you know ocean and, and halma is a wider group it's something that you guys have had a lot of focus on over the last few years yeah. Is it something you can actually put your finger on? Like, how, how do you start that? Um, where does it begin? I, I think it is a grassroots thing, right? It doesn't, it doesn't come from a, a top-down announcement and a press release about uh, 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 the fact that we went to Pride and had a flow. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> it just, the far more important things are 
um, how an employee feels coming to work every day and how you are treated and feel part of a team because, you know, community uh, is built on finding those common things that bind us together, whether it's a, a sales objective, whether it's a shared passion uh, for the purpose of your organization, whether it's a strong belief in the culture and the team that, that you're part of. And, and so to get the most out of diverse employees, it's about making sure that their voice and what makes them different is recognized and valued um, yeah. as, as much as anything. And I, I think about um, what does that look like? And, you know, some of the formative experiences that, that I've had. And when I first came to the UK after university in Australia, and I trained as an aerospace engineer, and I obviously, you know, the center of aerospace manufacturing in, in Derby in the Midlands, um, in an incredibly um, white <laughs> male, <laughs> quite conservative um, worldview and social uh, kind of community, um, working as an intern for, for a company there in a sales department with a team that were 100% white male and started every Monday morning talking about um, fantasy football. Um, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and totally normal. But they were a great group of guys and they made a point to get to know me to, base, to make sure I felt comfortable and to actually make the point, hey, if anybody gives you, gives you any problem, we'll go beat them up. <laughs> Maybe not the best response, but yeah. Which, which on one hand was... Um, <laughs> Support in the way that you have. Really not what, <laughs> you want, what you want to happen. But I, can tell, but I can tell you what that means is what that was was an overt statement of loyalty to you recognizing your difference. And yeah. of course, they never actually had to do that and nobody no. did anything, but it made a huge difference just the fact that they took an action, inappropriate or not, to make sure I felt comfortable yeah. and recognized. And that was my first ever kind of job and it was in a place where I did feel uncomfortable because this was we were working on this is big gas turbines lots yeah. of overalls and oil and big stuff and lots of guys with throwing wrenches a technical term that big stuff uh, um. and military projects guys with uniforms on and going in and out. Um, yeah, it was to do with the aircraft carriers at the time. And um, that those that environment is as cl classically blokish as you can get. Yeah. And you know what? They full full respect to to that team and that company because um, it, they weren't they weren't going to be putting out a press release about their support for Pride Month, but they lived it. And that, yeah. that really left, left a mark on me. 
Yeah. And so coming to, to Helmer and working in Helmer for the past 10 years, um, it, it's been important to just try and be comfortable. And I've seen the organization actively make steps to try and make sure that it talks about those issues and creates a way for companies to talk about those issues. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's not going to happen overnight but it does start with those individual decisions that managers, that team members and colleagues make about how you have that conversation on Monday morning. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, there's so many different kind of ins and outs of how you go about having those conversations. But like you say, it's about making sure that someone feels comfortable and included. And I think one of the things that you see as an argument, not necessarily against diversity for want of a better phrase is the idea that it takes away from what's already there for the majority as it were mm-hmm. and I think that that football conversation is is really interesting because it sounds so inane and so nothing it shouldn't affect anybody but actually if you know every Monday you're in an all-staff meeting everyone catching up and the first 20 minutes that's what it's all about you're not saying that that's not allowed but it has to be recognized that it's probably only aimed at 40 50 percent of the room um you know and i think it's that recognition um that oh there's other things we can talk about here there's other people that might have you know interesting things to chat about and it's like you said recognizing people's difference and allowing it to to stand out positively rather than being sort of not criticized but being used as a descriptor you know they are you know that is our our gay employee for example or that's that's the one non-white person in the room you know it's respecting difference in a way that allows people to talk about it and actually that's what humanizes it isn't it because you can be the only lgbtq person in an, in an organization but if the organization makes you feel comfortable enough to be visible just by being visible you're educating the rest of the team and saying actually these relationships are as normal as, as anybody else's well and, and, and that's how you start to normalize normalize those yeah. that not i you know, developed and became a fan of tottenham fc because <laughs> You know what? I needed a team, and that that, that stuck. Um, and that's, uh, but at the same time, you get to have a more nuanced and relevant understanding of each other. That that drives better relationships, which drives better performance as a yeah. business team. And so, you know, if you're not constantly working to be inclusive it's the same whether it's across minority whatever minority cultures that you know may apply um ethnic culture you know like uh, you know cultural background as well making sure language making sure people feel comfortable speaking yeah Um, it's, it's no different um working with LGBT voices in your group and in your room and in your team. Um, and I think that because in, in STEM, it's about technology, it's about science, it's about these, these things that are largely somewhat abstracted from human emotion and, uh, and the personal stuff. Yeah. Extra easy to avoid or not have those conversations but it's, it's, it's about saying it with a megaphone in the staff meeting or on, or on the all hands call 
it can be about the one-to-one -one conversation you have with a colleague or a um, team member, you know, after the meeting or yeah. recognizing what you may have seen from social media or things outside of work just to create an inclusive and positive affirmation mm -hmm. of that difference. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. A question, I mean, that just came to mind there actually was, do you think the events of the last year and us becoming far more remote um, in the way we do business and the way we work mm -hmm. and that I think for a large part is going to stay with us even after, you know, COVID is, is hopefully a you know, long and distant memory. Yeah. Do you think that's helped in, in terms of allowing people to, to be a little bit more open and be a bit more, be a bit more visible because when they're in that staff meeting, when they're in that team meeting, they're in the comfort of their own homes rather than feeling watched as everyone talks to. Yeah, it's, it, I think yes and yes and no, perhaps. Um, I think one thing is that people have become conscious that their home is now much closer to their work. Yes. The background of my office, the photos I have of my family or partner that might be in my office. As an LGBTQ person, you're always thinking about that stuff, right? And um, so it brings it, it brings it. Speaking in. of which, there's my dog. <laughs> I've loved getting to know all my team's kids, right? On the <laughs> yeah. It, it brings a different, it has brought a different dimension of people's lives to work. It has been, in many ways, a leveler. I, you know, am a leader of a company based in the United States in Florida. I lead a team all over the world. I live in, uh, in the UK. Um, and so it's made people more aware of what it means to be a remote employee. It means it's made yeah. people aware and just disrupted that sense of what, it, what our business should be and look like every day. And so yeah. I think part of what has fueled a lot of what I think have been really good conversations, obviously the larger political, some of the, you know, events outside uh, that have happened. Um, but from an internal work culture perspective, I think that has really helped fuel some of the, the, the thinking and conversations that people have had because yeah. you, know, you have to be more deliberate. You can't just go to the kitchen and talk to the people you're used to talking to, you're comfortable talking to. You've got yeah. a little bit more. Uh, yeah, you can't just, you know, next time I spot someone in the office, I'll ask them this question. You, you've got to be proactive in doing it. No, that makes sense. Now, it's just something came to mind because I think uh, there's ups and downs of it, isn't there, from a, a diversity perspective, because you're seeing more of someone's personal life than you otherwise would if they were in the office, yeah. which has its good side and its bad sides, because there will be people with more comfortable and less comfortable home situations for working. And, yeah. you know, just in, in terms of being inclusive, I think it's forced a lot of, you know, leaders to actually understand that that's an issue. That's a challenge that they have to, to help people with. And actually that's kind of what this is all about, because if, if working remotely and putting that, you know, personal you know, work-life balance in people's faces on Zoom calls has done anything, it's, it's helped people understand that actually, diversity and inclusion is about everyone it's not just about specific groups and i think that's the, the point of these conversations is yes we're talking about lgbtq plus issues but you know that's because like i said earlier the web, where best to start than the community you're part of um but you know we're all intersections of, of all of these different kind of um well, categories or whatever you want to call them 
Absolutely. I mean, to put, you know, to put a specific example of that, if, if any of my team who are parents felt uncomfortable talking to me about the fact that they have childcare commitments and need to do something, change schedule uh, because of, of that, you know, I would be horrified, right? I want to have a team and create an environment where people feel like they can um, support their life and give their best at work every day. That drives performance. Yeah. And it's, it's consciously having that open-mindedness as a leader um, to not project what may be your situation onto everybody else's and to, as an organization, to project what works and what may have been successful in your culture, workplace in the past on your employees. And that's where I think we are seeing this, this wave of flex, flexibility, if you want to call it that, um, because guess what? People are different. Yeah. No, no, completely, completely. And that's a recognition, I think, that we're getting closer to you know, achieving and everybody's, this is a different part of that, that kind of journey, I suppose. And, and if putting these conversations out there does nothing apart from help move someone on that little tiny bit further, mm-hmm. you know, they've, they've done a good thing. Um, we've touched on it a couple of times, but one thing I wanted to kind of finish up on was that idea of, you know, masculinity, toxic masculinity, if you want to call it that, because I think that's something that isn't just an LGBTQ issue. That's something that affects everybody. Yeah. Um, and if we're, we're sitting here, like I said before, as two white guys, you know, that's that there's there's plenty of privilege appearing in this conversation, even though we're talking about, you know, minority issues. Um, that's something I think that delves its way into every part of what we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And that idea of traditionally male dominated places almost only having one definition of what male is, ironically, because they've been male this whole time. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like actually the 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 diversity the inclusion conversation is going to help that if it does nothing apart from help people understand that there's different facets to everything and that as well as sexuality gender is also on that spectrum um and there isn't a single definition of anything yeah i mean you know who who uh you want to live with or the gender of that person is no different to um what hobbies somebody might have out of work and whether those are considered okay by classical codes of, of masculine of, of masculinity aka toxic codes of masculinity yes. you know, coming, coming from australia and new zealand i think the over my lifetime i've seen that awareness of move from you know what not every boy wants to play rugby not every yeah wants to like girls and it's it's um you know these things might sound overly simplified or whatever but i think it's again whether people do that consciously or subconsciously Mm -hmm. right i know there and it it even happens within the gay community right oh my gosh how could how could you like football or rugby right or friends that you know in gay rugby teams that that like uh, the things that people say to them or the assumptions about what that means to who they are as 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 a male um you know clearly that's a, a point that infuriates me a lot <laughs> you, you, you can 
be anything you want to be and therefore being male and the definition of male and maleness um, is about being open to the fact that the, it's the things that make us the same that do do and will bind us together but it's yeah. recognizing the differences as well that will build stronger and better relationships and yeah. as a business Oh no, completely. And I, I mean, I think back to what you said about the the team in Derby saying they would yeah. beat up anyone that, that that you know threatened you with anything. I, that kind of would make me equal parts comfortable and equal parts terrified because it's part of that. It's a symptom of that kind of issue, isn't it? But you know, funnily enough, I'm saying this as as the guy who did play rugby as I was growing up. Um, but uh, but then it, it also reminds me, you know, I play in a metal band. I've been in the, the metal kind of community, you know, most of my life as well, and that is a hyper masculine you know area as well but at the same time incredibly inclusive but it might not look so from the outside and i think that's something we need to remember with with work cultures as well is that you know it doesn't mean that you know something being hyper masculine is bad because it can be as inclusive mm -hmm. as 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 need be for you know for anyone else it's it's yeah it's but privilege isn't bad it's recognizing that it exists that's good Exactly, and it goes it goes back to the, the visible versus invisible part, right? Yeah. You know, in a in a metal band, people may dress in a certain way to create a shared sense of shared identity or a shared yeah. shared purpose. At work, we might wear a uniform or a certain style <laughs> set of like you know. You tend to find, for example, in workplaces, people tend to dress to a certain level or expectation. That's yeah. an part of the culture, whether that's casual, more formal, yeah. um, and, um, but it's those things that perhaps you don't see and that you therefore don't talk about that are often the more, you know, complex facets of identity for people internally and yeah. whether it's something they're into outside of work, whether it's their personal life, whether it's experiences they've had in in the past um, and uh, you know performative experiences and I think that to that point around um, how do you you know the, the kind of it's not it's not about calling out toxic masculinity it's not about invalidating it or saying that you know what that conversation about football is any, any more less important than talking about yeah. or something else but it is about saying that all of these conversations and all of these facets of of individuals and team members are equally important or part of that conversation and i think that one of the things that you know that kind of what we when we refer to toxic masculinity um it is that sense that there is a hierarchy or there is some kind of order of okayness and, and I think that that is something that in all aspects of privilege people need to be conscious of yes religion ethnicity sexuality gender you name it it's you see the same mm -hmm. modes operating is kind of a yeah no no absolutely absolutely and i think that is a fantastic point to to end on actually um i'm sure like i said we could speak for hours and hours on this and uh lucky me i get to speak for hours and hours on this so uh 
yeah um thank you for your time henry it's been fantastic and uh if anyone you know watching listening had any questions um you know feel free i'm, I'm sure you don't mind people reaching out to you i certainly don't mind people reaching out to me i'm far from an expert but uh we can we can try and help <laughs> you know what it's it's yeah it's it's as i said i think real change is a grassroots thing and it, it does start with the individual decisions um that we take as leaders that we take as uh, as managers as individuals as as team members in our personal and professional life um and you know it, it's not about it's not somebody else's problem to fix that's i think the, the, the thing we all have to go to work every day um keeping keeping in mind there we go there's the uh, the title for this episode it's not someone else's problem to fix <laughs> i'll quote you on that one <laughs> anytime Excellent. Thank thanks you. for your time henry Bye -bye.